everyone. This is Andrea Warmington. I'm the Senior Content Manager at Goodlord and welcome to the News Agent Podcast. This episode is a recording of our webinar with Peter Knight, the founder of the Property Academy, a non-executive director at Goodlord, and also the author of the Highly Effective Marketing Plan. He's talking to Goodlord's Director of Customer Success, Tom Goodman, about how agencies can use the Highly Effective Marketing Plan in their businesses. I would highly recommend that you download a copy of the Highly Effective Marketing Plan worksheet so that you can follow along. You'll find the link in your show notes. So grab that and then let's get started. Good morning, everyone. My name is Tom Goodman and I head up the customer success team here at Goodlord. So what is Goodlord and also what on earth is customer success? Uh, we'll probably park the latter for now. My mum still doesn't understand uh, what it is, and I've been trying to explain it to her for about four years. Uh, Good Lord, on the other hand, uh, we are a cloud-based end-to-end pre-tenancy platform, specifically designed to help streamline the tenant onboarding process. Our mission is ultimately to create the best renting experience in the world, and that doesn't happen without our agents. So we have a present for you today. And my goodness, has Christmas come early. Uh, We're very fortunate to have joining us our very own non-executive director, Peter Knight, founder of the Property Academy and creator of the Highly Effective Marketing Plan. Good morning, Peter. How are you, sir? Good morning. Well, I'm really good, actually. As you can see, Tom, I'm not actually at home at the moment. Uh, we had a had a massive tree fall in the garden uh, yesterday. Twenty five foot or twenty five meter tree fell. Just missed the house, actually. Um, but it did take out all the telephone lines, all the Wi Fi, and everything else. So uh, I'm in my gym. And uh, um, by the way, if anybody lives near Crawley, if I could just give you a bit of a plug, you know, specialist performance gym, number one gym in, in the area. Um, right, that's that, that's why that's why rent payments delivered. Um, so uh, yeah, so so apologies for the uh, sort of the technical challenges, but we've we've made it. That's a good thing. Awesome. So we've got a we've got a two in one: how to get the Peter Knight shape and how to use his highly effective marketing plan. <laughs> exactly. Exactly that. <laughs> Perfect. Well, uh, Peter, today you're going to be talking to us about the Highly Effective Marketing Plan, and I am going to hand straight over to you, Peter, take it away with your Highly Effective Marketing Plan. Great stuff. Well, thank you very much indeed, Tom, and uh, good morning, everybody, and thank you very much indeed for attending uh, this Good Lord webinar. It's absolutely brilliant to be to be here today and to share with you a process that I developed uh, a number of years ago when I ran a marketing agency. And it's funny you mentioning uh, your mum and her uh, exasperation at the, at, at, uh, the term customer success. I, I remember my, my mother summoning my two brothers and I uh, for Sunday lunch. She, she, she doesn't invite us. Uh, we, we receive a summons and uh, it's a three-line whip. There's no, 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 convers- no discussion about it. So dutifully arrived. And uh, my mother has the habit of also liking to, how can I put it politely, dominate the conversation or at least dictate its direction. And she said to me one day, she said, I keep on reading about brand. She said, what is this term brand? You're you're in marketing, Peter. What what does brand mean? So I started to bumble my way through an answer of what I felt brand was. And she cut me short after a couple of minutes. And she said, so you mean reputation, do you? She said, what is it with your generation that feels the need to to invent new words to replace perfectly good ones that already exist? So I have a lot of sympathy uh, with you in terms of trying to explain what on earth customer success is because uh, I've had a similar challenge. But actually, it's one of the reasons why um, 
hemp, the highly effective marketing plan, it, it, it exists. And it's because actually it was originally going to be called the, the meat and potatoes marketing plan. And, and the reason for that is I find that there's an awful lot of, uh, let, me, let me share with you the, the opening line in, in the book. I'm not expecting you to have to buy it. And attending this webinar means you can save yourself a few, but we don't have to buy it. Although it is available on Amazon if you feel that way inclined. But the, uh, uh, the opening line starts off by saying there's almost as much bullshit as waste in marketing. Waste just edges it, though. And that's because I've, I've, as, a, as a running a marketing agency and working with some in, in extraordinary brands. I mean, we, we worked with people like David Lloyd Leisure and we worked with Barrett Homes. And perhaps one of our better uh, known campaigns was First Choice Holidays. We, we uh, did all the sponsorship for I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. And, uh, and that, was, that was particularly good um, as it was the series. The first sponsorship was a series of... Uh, um, Jordan and Peter Andre getting it off in literally in the in in the jungle. So we were involved with that and all sorts of other things. But what I've found over the years when, when running a, a marketing agency was a lot of time people were unable to tell me what it was they wanted. You know, we'd meet a new client. What do you want? And they'd say things like, "Oh, we want we want to increase our brand awareness." I go, "Okay, what does that mean? What, what's the result?" Or, or they'll go, "We want to we want to grow." I go, "Brilliant. By how much and by when?" I'm like, oh, yeah, it's a good question. And all too often, Tom, I find that people just have not got specific enough about what I call their desired result. And so the plan was actually born out of our uh, process to help clients to identify what it was they truly wanted. Again, all too often, what we found was that people would do things on automatic repeat. So they would say things like, oh, we're going to we want to update our website. Great. Why? What's the desired result? Uh, we want a new brochure. Brilliant. What's the desired result? We want a social media campaign and so on and so forth. They, they Often people leap to the what they feel is the solution without actually having diagnosed what the issue is sufficiently. So this is a diagnostic tool and it's designed to be as simple as possible. And typically, once you get into the habit of doing it, you can create your own highly effective marketing plan, let's say a couple of hours at the outside. And that investment, I've found, has been really, really helpful for a lot of people to be able to get laser-like in terms of their focus. So what I'd like to do today is I'd like you to, uh, ideally, all the participants, I'd like you to actually create one as, as I talk you through it, or at least begin the creation of one, because I think the action of doing is, is the best way of learning. And so at the end of this hour, what you'll have is a, a, a sort of a largely or substantially completed highly effective marketing plan. You'll probably have a few things you need to go and check up on or research further, but you'll, you'll have got something that's hopefully worthwhile and you will have learned the process whilst doing so. So those are the two sort of objectives that I have for, for this. So let's get started. And it starts, as I say, with, with, with having a real clear desired result. What is your desired result? So as I mentioned, uh, the, more, the, the broader it is and the more vague it is, the worse it is. So much better to get really specific. So let me give you an example of what, what would work. Let's say, let's say somebody's wanting to uh, grow their business in this post-COVID environment. Okay, fine. By how much? So one of the desired results could be we want to, we want to secure 10 new landlords uh, by the end of July. That would work. Or let's say that you're in expansion mode and uh, just made an acquisition and you, and you realize that you need to recruit some people. You might say, I want to recruit two new property managers, experienced property managers, and have them in post by the 1st of September. That would work. 
or it could be I've got an opportunity to buy a, to buy a lettings book uh, from a competitor. So my desired result is to is to complete on that transaction. That would work. Um, you can pick whatever you want to. The key thing is, though, to only pick one desired result for each highly effective marketing plan. If you try to do two, three or more at the same time, it gets way too complicated and it doesn't work. So this is why I'm keen for you to pick one now and to then learn the process so that you can return to it. Um, it's available for free on my website. Um, and by the way, you don't have to register. Uh, I don't capture the information. You just go and help yourself whenever you want it. So, you know, it's there to, there to access. So what I'm keen for you to do is to write down in box number one a desired result, something that is truly going to be of worth and value to you, something that uh, you, know, you really want to achieve for your business. Um, this actually does work, of course, across all sorts of things. And I, if time allows, I might, I might share a couple of other applications. Uh, but uh, I, I'm going to focus on business activities for today. So hopefully you've got something in mind and you've got an idea of a, what will be a really great desired result. So once you've got that, the second thing to ask yourself is, well, what's that going to be worth? What's its value? And I ask you to put that into three different uh, or break that down into three component parts. What's the turnover? What's the profit? And in what timetable? So, for example, if you were to secure, let's say, 10 new landlords, you may choose to factor the turnover over a, a period of time. So whatever your average lifetime uh, value is of, of a landlord client, that, 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 might be that, that might be the figure that you use. Uh, or you could turn around. So actually, no, the acquisition of, of a new landlord, really, we only attribute that for three years afterwards. Then that's down to the property management team and we credit credit them later. So however you choose to, to, to look at it is, is appropriate, whatever is right for your business. But it's why I have the timetable in there as well, because I think it's really important to understand with certain businesses and lettings in particular, it tends to be a longer term play. Um, you know, sales, as we know, is, 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 much, is much more instant and transactional, whereas, of course, lettings is much more relationship based and longer term. In fact, while I was speaking to one of our Property Academy members, um, uh, Spencer Lawrence from Paramount uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And I was actually staggered to find that his average tenancy, he's got 1,500 properties under management. His average tenancy is now almost four years. Uh, and it's got, it's, it's, it, you know, Arla, I think, is reporting an average of around two years. So there definitely seems to be a trend in terms of a, a, a longer average and therefore potentially a greater value. So it's really important to, to work that out because often – I find that people will have an idea. I know I do, lots of them, 10 before breakfast often. And quite frankly, they're, well, they seemed good at the time. But when I actually write down the desired result and then I look at what it's actually worth, I go, mm, no. And I have a folder called my not doing now folder. And it's where I put all my great, so-called great ideas, all those ideas that I wake up at three or four in the morning thinking, that's a brilliant idea. And then when I, when I, when the next morning, I, I get my hemp pad out and start making my notes. And I go, no, I'll, I'll put it in the not doing now folder. Uh, every so often, I'll dig that out and have, a, and have a, a nose through it to see if there's something that I should actually resurrect. But this is a good way of filtering out as well, sort of those ideas that actually in the cold light of day perhaps shouldn't be, uh, shouldn't be actioned. And that leads to step three, because Having passed the financial test, yeah, it's worthwhile. This is worth this is worth our spending some time on. Um, we could make some good money on this, good return on this. Brilliant. But what are the consequences? What are the upsides? What are the downsides of doing it or not doing it? And I always believe that there are upsides 
of not doing it. Let me give you an example. If you were, let's say, looking to grow the business and, 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 add, and add to the portfolio, you add another 10, 20, 50, 100, whatever landlords. What's the, what's the upsides of that? Well, probably mostly financial and, and, and security and, and various other things. Great. What's the potential downsides? Could be service levels. Uh, they could drop. I remember years ago um, when I was running a marketing agency, we, uh, we were uh, featured in, in, a, in the industry magazine called Campaign. And we were top of the new business charts. We'd just won David Wilson Homes. Um, and uh, I think also it was fairly soon after we'd won first choice as well. And so we were flying really high in, in, in terms of the new business charts. And, uh, you know, agencies, advertising agencies are as competitive as Lessing's agencies are as well. So, you know, this was like a this was a big deal for us. And we were really quite pleased with ourselves to have been uh, assessed as, as, as a sort of a you know, high flying uh, business. About uh, two days later, though, I, I got a letter, which I suppose was, shows you a date rather than an email. I got, I got a letter from, from a client, one of our original clients. It was a house builder based in the northwest. And it said, dear Peter, uh, please uh, take note. Uh, this is our notice uh, that we're going to terminate the account. We've got three months notice as, as, as per our agreement. Uh, we will be pitching the account, but we will not be asking you to repitch. Uh, thanks for everything you've done over the years, but it's time for us to, uh, to move on. Uh, uh, yours sincerely, Mike. So I called Michael. Well, first of all, I got my team together, and we used to have a quarterly audit of every single client as to how we were doing. You know, were we on budget? Have we delivered on time? Were there any issues? Well, we scored all the relationships of all the people that we interacted with. And, you know, I looked at the last three quarters reviews, and we were doing well. I mean, the odd thing that we perhaps had slipped up on, but nothing that was at the count losing. And the overall relationship scores were really good. So I couldn't understand it. So I phoned, I phoned Mike up and just said, Mike, uh, he said, oh, hi, Peter. Got, yeah, you got my letter then. So I said, yeah, I did. Yeah, well, what's up? I said, what, what have we done wrong? He said, you've done nothing wrong. So I said, well, why are you giving us notice then? He said, because all that new business that you've won, he said, you're not going to care about us anymore, are you? I mean, we're a complete minnow compared to some of those businesses. And I'd never thought about that. I'd never, we hadn't considered the consequence of our success being to cause some of our initial clients to feel that they may no longer be uh, wanted or regarded. Now, luckily on that occasion, I was able to put the situation right. You know, I said to him, Mike, have I ever let you down? No. I said, have I always been available to you? Absolutely. I said, well, I will continue to be. Nothing will change. I give you my word. And I was able to retain the business. But it's an example of how sometimes there can be a consequence of something that you just don't realize. And I always think it's great to try to identify what those potential unintended consequences might be. You can't always. But it's why there's four boxes. There's always an upside and always a potential downside of, of doing something. There's always an upside and always a downside of not doing something. And I think it's great to ask about this particular section. Let me give you an example in terms of a state agency that may be relevant. Uh, quite often I hear both sales and lettings agents say that their desired result is to move up into, in the price ranges. You know, we'd like to capture a bigger share of the more expensive properties because we'll learn more from those than we do if they're operating at the middle and lower ends of the price point. And I get that, absolutely. But the unintended consequence of doing that potentially could be to actually deter your core market because if all they see on the, your homepage are sort of hero shops of lovely big properties, and then their 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 you know their property is a, a one bed studio flat or something that they're they're looking to let out, they may come to the conclusion, well, this agency isn't for us. They obviously operate at a different price point. So it's just being mindful of things like that. And similarly with growth, 
you know, if you're looking to bring on board extra people and grow your business post-COVID, you, know, you may find that you, it, one of the unintended consequences is creating almost an us and them. You know, the, the, there's a tipping point in most firms where you get to a certain size. And Goodlord is, 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 is a classic example of this. You know, Goodlord has had phenomenal growth and, uh, and, and brilliantly so, despite this, this COVID period. You know, as new people have been onboarded, and they have been onboarded during the process, which is, you know, again, amazing. But you, you know, inevitably, you get to a point in size where you suddenly have, well, we were here at the beginning. I remember the early days, and, and you, you create unintentionally, potentially, a, a different culture. And, you, and if you're mindful, of it, you can take steps to address it. So it's why it's really valuable, I think, to have these four uh, things identified. The other thing Peter, about this... Peter, can, is, I, can I jump in with a, a quick question? Is that yeah. all right? Um, so just before we go slightly too further um, down the line, we have uh, a question from Ryan Dennis, uh, just talking about the, the original goal and target and then how that sort of affects how you fill in, in the rest. And he's saying, is it, is, it, is it OK to have a goal and a target that is to increase the turnover slash profit by April 20, uh, 2021, for example? And if that is an OK goal and target, how do you fill in the second, the second box? Yeah. Okay, so it's a great question um, because it highlights actually the, the need for getting really specific. So if you start off with that, I want to increase the turnover by X, great. However, how are you going to do that? So my first question would be, okay, you want X increase in turnover. So how will that happen? So that could be, uh, well, we need to attract a certain number of new clients. Okay, or it could be we need to sell uh, additional products and services to our existing clients, or we need to. Uh, we currently have landlords' portfolios where we're only acting on one or two of their uh, uh, properties, and we potentially could expand out. So those are two or three different ways that you could increase turnover. So what I would then do is drill down to one of those, um, because you could go back and look at the other two separately with a separate hemp. I would start with one of those. So let's say it's, I want to attract new landlords. Let's say that's the one that you pick. Great. Okay. So now you've got your desired result and you get specific with it by saying, I want to attract a certain number of new landlords by a certain date. So I'd like to attract 10 landlords with one property each by September the 1st or whatever the timetable is that you're going to be working on. And that's when you can then take it to box number two, which is the pound notes box. What's that worth in terms of turnover? What's that worth in terms of profit? And again, over what timetable? Because the timetable to attract the landlords might be the 1st of September, but actually the timetable when it comes to um, the value could be, as I said earlier, over a longer period of time. So you might have effectively two different timetables there. And then into the consequences. So what are the consequences of that? Well, the upside's great. We expand the business, etc. What's the potential negative of it? Well, could it put additional strains onto property management? You know, could that be an issue? Uh, could it be? Could it be actually we're at, we're 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 at a point where you know our systems really can't cope with it, with any more. We're going to need to you know, reorganise the way that we we uh, manage our business and so on and so forth. So you just you just work out what are the upsides and downsides of of, of doing it. If you're chasing new business, is there a danger that you end up with a leaky bucket syndrome because you're not looking after your clients well enough? I mean, a classic example in COVID-19, we've got so many members of the Property Academy. I mean, I mentioned Spencer. I know he picked up one portfolio with 27 properties in it because the landlord with 27 properties had not been contacted at all by their existing agents. And, you know, some of the bigger firms 
uh, I don't want to name any of them, but some of the bigger firms have gone into complete, not just lockdown, they've gone into hibernation. I mean, they've gone completely full. They're, they are asleep. And, and the consequence of that is there's a fantastic opportunity to engage with uh, uh, landlords who feel that they're being they're being let down. You know, there's an example of an opportunity, but don't be the, the, the same person. You're chasing all this new business and, and forgetting to look after the, the business that you've already got. I think I think that's really interesting. If I'll just add another anecdote to, with an agent I was speaking to yesterday, uh, again, probably about 700 properties under management. They found that willing, winning new instructions recently has been actually pretty easy because any landlords uh, that have vacant properties with certain hibernating agents have actually been told, I'm sorry, we're not going to do anything right now. And they've just swooped in and uh, increased their stock, which has been incredible. Uh, just a really quick question. Do you, do you have any practical advice for how uh, agents can actually make sure that they keep that level of service uh, with their landlords and keep their landlords engaged whilst they bring on new business during this time? Well, I think it's about having a, a program of, of, of contact, um, you know, and making sure that you you are really organised around it. Um, so, you know, for, for, to my mind, every single client, every single landlord should have been contacted at least once, ideally more, during this period of time. I mean, that, that to my mind, is just an absolute basic um, and, 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 and you know, again, it's, there's so many reasons why you could call. I mean, the first one is, you know, how are you? How is everything? And then anything to do with the actual property itself that needs to be looked at. You know, if there are any issues or potential issues, you know, if, you, if you're aware that, that your tenants in that particular property have an, have a, an issue or a potential issue, it's forewarned is forearmed and all, and all the above. But now it's a really great opportunity to say, look, we, no one knows for sure what's going to happen in the post-COVID environment. There's a lot of talk about op opportunities, uh, potential properties coming onto the market that could be suitable from an investment uh, perspective. Can I ask, what is your appetite at the moment in terms of further investment? Um, you know, with interest rates being so low and availability of mortgage finance being so good, you know, is it something you'll consider? And, and even if they say, no, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, fine. You, you've contacted them for their benefit, not, not, not for yours. And I think that's always a key thing to, to do is to, is, to, is to contact with the reason that is in their interests. So I, I, I'm, I'm excited for the better agents, Tom, at this time, because I genuinely think we're going to see uh, you know, an awful lot of the, the bigger firms uh, who, have, who have just gone into lockdown mode, stopped everything. Well, I think that they will have that. So the upside of that for them was they say they save a load of money. Quite famous, you know, it's been well reported. One or two of the firms, not just furloughing people, but getting rid of quite large numbers, closing large numbers of offices, and so on. Okay, fine. So you know, the upside of that for them is they save money in the short term. What's the what's the what's the downside of that for them? Well, that they're going to lose a lot of business as a consequence because actually landlords are going to say, hang on, you know, this I've just not been looked after at all during this period of time. You know, you, you, you've looked after yourself. You're not looking after me. And this is this box three, Tom, is a checking box, really, because sometimes if you've worked out the consequences, right, you might say, do you know what? Actually, it was a good desired result. Yeah, and it's worth quite a lot of money. But the potential risk is too great at this moment in time. And so, therefore, we need to change what we're doing. And I always say at the end of box three is a checking box. So go back to your desired result and say, is that something that I really want? You know, is that something I really want? Having now weighed up what it's worth and having also assessed what the upsides and downsides are, is it still something I want to pursue? And if it's not, again, it goes into the not doing now folder. But if it is worthwhile pursuing, that's the case. But look, if Ryan or anybody else 
uh, has further questions around that, then absolutely fine to either answer them now or very happy, Tom, if anybody wanted to contact me afterwards, they, I'd, I'd be delighted to. Uh, in fact, I made a real mistake in, my, in, in the book. So when I wrote it, I, I knew that my mum would buy a copy and one of my two brothers would. The other one's too tight, but one of my two brothers would buy a copy. So in the back, I wrote, I hope you've enjoyed, you know, this is helpful and blah, blah. If I can be of any assistance, you know, feel free to email me. Because I thought, other than my mum and my brother, who's going to buy a copy of it? Well, little did I know, it ended up in 11 languages. Uh, Pearson's, who are the world's largest publisher, picked it up and basically they, they, they took it around the world and printed it. So I now get, I get all these uh, emails in Korean and Greek uh, and, and, and Russian. And, and, and it's, you know, because of course it's been perfectly translated. You know, so, so uh, uh, yeah, so it, it, can be, it can be an issue. So I'm very happy to have, in English though, that's the only language that I, 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 can, I can read, uh, in, in English, uh, any questions that people have after this. So that's one, two, and three. And it's the foundations of a really highly effective marketing plan. That's, that, that's the foundation stones. So let's now get into what I call the meat and potatoes. Let's get to the real, you know, the, the, the key thing. And steps four, five, and six are the most important of the whole, the whole plan. And I'll guarantee you this. If you get these wrong, you'll waste an awful lot of money and time, and you'll get frustrated. And this is the area where an awful lot of uh, people, I'm afraid, make assumptions. And the consequence of that is that they get it wrong. So they waste money and they waste time and they get frustrated and, and, uh, and all, all the above. So number four is who is the target audience or who are the target audiences? And let me get, give you an example of this. Uh, in lettings, uh, and I, I find this is an issue I, I bring up quite frequently with our, with, with our members and clients that I meet for the first time. I go on their website and they've got a tab that says landlords. And you drop down and it, and it describes this, the, 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 the letting and property management service. And I think, to my mind, it's not good enough. You see, if somebody is letting their own home, let's say that they've received a job offer um, and, they, and, and, and they've got a two-year posting to Australia or Hong Kong or America or wherever it happens to be, and they want to let their home out because they're fully intending to return to that property as their home in two years' time. So that's one type of landlord. Another type of landlord is somebody who's just, let's say, inherited a property or maybe a couple that have got together where they've got two properties. And they decide to keep both of them, move into one of them and let the other one out. A third type could be somebody who actually consciously is going out and buying a property um, as a buy to let investment for the first time. And yet another type could be somebody who's already done that a dozen or more times. And in, in other words, is, is very well versed in the whole lettings process and has been a landlord for a decade or more. But just those four alone are four very, very different profiles of landlords. And each of them needs to be identified, in my opinion, and have a separate marketing plan for each. So that's why, for the purposes of this, I would like you to pick just one, of, one target audience. Bear in mind, though, that there are potentially several. And that's why you may need to come back and do a different hem for each of those different groups. I mean, it doesn't, take a, it doesn't take an age, but what it does, it enables you to get really, really clear about who it is that's going to impact onto your desired result. So it might be that if you take that previous example of, of securing X number of new instructions, that, you might revise that now to say, we want to secure uh, 10 new landlords, all of whom 
have only got one property, let's say. So they're fairly new to, to lettings. Great. Or, it, you know, by contrast, it could be our desired result is to secure a portfolio. Um, uh, we, you know, we want to expand that. Whichever it is, have a separate head for each one of them is what I'm trying to say. Because knowing who your target audiences are is really important. And by the way, um, when you get really well versed with this process, I always encourage people to say and think about the internal audience as well. Because you know, this, this plan will impact on, on the rest of the business. And uh, uh, unfortunately for, for business owners, when they come back, or, or senior directors and senior managers, when, when, they, when, they, when they get a, a really excited about a new idea and have a desired result, they often find that not everybody else is quite as excited as they are. Because their desired result actually, in the minds of a lot of people, equals more work. Uh, and uh, so that needs to be carefully managed as well. But look, I would suggest for the purposes of today, picking one only of, of your potential target audiences and work with that one um, for this. So having identified who, who it is that you're after, the next thing is to ask yourself better, find out what do they currently think, feel and do in respect to your desired result. So they might, for example, think, Actually, all lettings agents are the same, can't stand them. I only use them for let only if I absolutely have to. I'd rather manage my own portfolio. That's, that's, that's one, one point of view that some landlords might have. In fact, quite a few landlords do. As we know, there's a huge number that, that don't uh, uh, let their properties via agents. Another um, uh, landlord might be thinking to themselves, I've heard of this agency, whatever the name of your business is, but I've heard they're very expensive. So they, so I feel I, I, I feel I don't need that. Um, so what they do is they go to a competitor, and uh, yet again there might be another landlord that goes, never heard of that agency, didn't know they did lettings, just thought they were in sales. And so what they therefore do as a consequence is they go somewhere else. So there's all these different possibilities, but with each one of them, what I'm hoping uh, you the, you, know, you get is that their their behaviours might be the same. What they end up doing is going via another agent or not using an agent at all. The net effect being that you are currently not servicing their business requirements. So that is the same. You are not servicing their business requirements at the moment. But the reasons behind that can be very, very different. And I don't believe you can know your target audience too well. And the problem with having a bracket all, so just landlords as one big group, is you'll have at least those three different scenarios and perhaps a dozen more by profile of landlords. So we need to drill down much more specifically as to each individual uh, criteria of landlord, category of landlord, and understand what their drivers are. And in that respect, Tom, we, we, we publish uh, each year, Property Academy, we, we do a survey of landlords and tenants, uh, and sellers as well, actually. We do, we do the, we've done this every year for over a decade now to find out what their motivations are. Why did they pick one agent over another? Um, and we publish all sorts of material uh, around that. Um, but I truly believe that you cannot know your, your target audiences too well. So having worked out who they are and having worked out what they currently think, feel and do, the next stage, step six, is pretty easy. What do you want them to think, feel or do? Now, here's the key point. You want them to change what they do. You want them to change from not using an agent at all to using you or from using another competitor agent to using you. We get that. The thing is, though, Thinking always precedes doing. So if you want to change what somebody does, 
you need to change what they think. But if you want to change what their thinking and feeling is, then you need to know what they're currently thinking and feeling. Otherwise, to varying degrees, you're shooting in the dark. And that's why there is so much waste in so much marketing, because people don't either they don't even know who their target audience is, in which case, I mean, that's double blind. Or they have a, a, a even if they have a clear idea who it is, if they haven't worked out what they currently think and feel, the likelihood is that they will end up with mistargeted and, uh, communications. They'll be saying the wrong things to maybe the right people. But often it's the wrong things to the wrong people. And that's you know, ridiculous. That's why if you think about it, if you think about yourself, how many communications do you receive on a daily, weekly, monthly basis that goes straight into the bin, whether that's the electronic bin or the actual rectangular circular bin that you've got, you've got in the corner of the room somewhere? You know, my guess, I, I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't get many magazines these days. Um, I tend to uh, consume most of uh, my content from a magazine perspective online, but I still get some. And, and one of them I get each week is called The Week, and it's just like a roundup of, of news from all over the world. And I find it quite a, a useful way of digesting what's going on all over the world. It's crammed full of inserts. It's crammed full of offers. It's cram I have no idea what they're for. It just goes straight into the recycling bin. I, I mean, literally, as I open the wrapper, I empty it straight in and, and, and take the magazine away. Not interested. I often think as I do it, I think of those poor marketing people who have crafted every word carefully, selected the imagery, the designers that you know, made sure the fonts all match up. And, you, and, and here's me, the recipient, straight in the bin. Don't even look at it. Never mind studying in great detail. And it comes as, as disappointment sometimes to clients, and I've worked with enough agents to know this, that, that the same is true of their hard-crafted materials as well. And, uh, and that's really sad, which is why it's so important to communicate to the right people at the right time in the right way. And we'll talk about that in, in a moment. So steps four, five, and six are the most important three steps. Who's your target audience? What do they currently think, feel, and do? What do you want them to think, feel, and do? And the key is thinking, because thinking or, and feeling. Thinking and feeling precedes doing. So it's about changing. And actually, that's where the next four steps really uh, come into play. Okay, um, So seven, eight, nine, and 10 uh, are all about Actually, how do we go about changing the way our target audience is thinking? How do we influence them? Now, I've been extremely lucky in my career to have worked with some amazing people. And uh, one of the uh, most brilliant individuals I've worked with is a man called Professor Robert Gialdini. Uh, and Bob, uh, I met uh, um, some years ago when he um, wanted to convert his, his, his sort of academic tomb. He wrote a book called Influence, Science and Practice great book a bit heavy for some people's taste and um, he wanted to convert that from academia into commerce in other words he wanted to basically say all these principles that i have identified in terms of how to influence somebody are really useful from a commercial perspective and my agency was fortunate enough to be chosen to actually craft all of the training materials for um for uh, his, his program called principles of persuasion or pop as we abbreviated it to and, uh, you know, it's one of those moments, Tom, where I actually got paid for doing something that I would have paid to have done. Uh, and because uh, to work with someone like that and to really get to understand uh, what, what and there are only six principles and one overall uh, umbrella 
uh, for each of the six. There's only six ways that you can influence somebody. And what Bob Giardini taught me was, well, and taught us, was what, what they what they were and how to, and how to apply them. So what I'm going to share with you is, is sort of some of the outputs from that. Uh, and one of the biggest things that people are influenced by actually is is, is the personality of, of a business. Now every individual has a personality, but so too every company, every organisation. You, you'll walk into somewhere and you'll immediately get a response. You'll go, "Oh, this looks nice," or you might go, "Oh, God, not sure about this place." Just in a, in a heartbeat. You know, just as a, a, a lettings agent will walk into a property and immediately, you know, the property has a has a personality. If you like, you 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 you, you relate to it. You like it or you dislike it on a, on a, on, a, on a various scale. We can't help ourselves. And so, in that respect, often the personality of an organisation is formed on, on their what I call the first touch, how they first come across. And of course, these days, more often than not, that's going to be digital. That's going to be perhaps on a website, it might be on a portal, it might be on social media, you know, um, but it's often going to be in a digital environment, which again is why it's so important that we understand who our target audiences are so that we're communicating with them effectively. But I'm getting ahead of myself. The personality is something which is the best organizations actually define what it is. As I say, every single organization has one, whether they are aware of it or not. The question is, is it the right one? And therefore, time needs to be spent making sure that you've got your personality really well crafted. And what I tend to suggest is that people go and do what I call R&D. Some know that as research and development. I know it as rip off and duplicate. So if, for example, you felt that your agency brand was aligned with, I don't know, Waitrose or Mercedes or Geese and Hawks, the tailors or whoever it is, or on the other hand, you might say, no, 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 we're much more Virgin Atlantic or we're Apple Computers or we're Google. Or you identify brands that you would like your business to, to um, be similar to. You know, if, if Google was to do a state agency, you know, well, how would they do it? How would it look, let's say? And then go and basically get as much of their stuff as you can possibly get because they will have spent millions researching that really, really carefully. And when I say stuff, stuff like staff handbooks and culture decks and various other things, which are amazingly available all over the place, so you can really get a good starting point using materials that have already been crafted at great expense and great amounts of time for somebody else. So that's my start point. But either way, I think it's really important, particularly as a business grows, to have defined the personality, to have written it down, for everyone to understand it, and to reasonably regularly review it to make sure it's still appropriate for where the business has moved into. Certainly an annual exercise in terms of is our personality you know, still the same or do we need to update it at all? Do we need to change it in some way? And it's possibly the single biggest thing that will influence whether somebody will, will actually engage with you or not. Because it's one thing saying, oh, get me in the home and I'll win the instruction every time, you know. Well, brilliant. Well done. The thing is, you've got to get in the home. You've got to get to meet with the landlord. You've got to get to meet with the with the client. Otherwise, you know, somebody else is going to win the business. And it, and it is often just that instant. Oh, I like the look of these people. Their 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 values are aligned with mine. I like the look of that. I'll go with it. Peter, sorry, could I? If I just while you're on personality, if I really quickly just strip it back slightly, I've got a question here from Jessica Sebastian. Um, when 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 they're trying to think about uh, the the message that their potential client may feel. They're saying they they will often have a different message, but how do they get past 
the fact that there is a general sentiment within the industry. So how do, how do you break how do you break the perception of agents as a whole to then get your personality across? Okay, Jessica, um, it's it's not easy. Okay, so the, conceptually, theoretically, the theory is a lot easier than the practice. You're absolutely right. Uh, by the way, our survey of landlords uh, and for that matter, sellers and tenants and buyers. If I was to summarise ten years of those surveys into what do they all what is the what what is the most common thing that they say about state agents, sales or lettings, it would be they're all pretty much the same. And therefore, as a consequence, we know they're not, but 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 that's the perception of an awful lot of people. And so therefore, what they tend to do is engage based on price in some instances, or they engage on, you know, uh, some uh, a friend has used them, or you know, the, 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 it's not the, there's not enough to cause them to go. I'm going to go with that client, and that's the challenge. Therefore, is how do you cause your business to stand out appropriately to the right people? And all too often, particularly with a smaller business, which most agents, you know, tend to be as a business. Uh, you know, typically most most businesses have got one or two branches and uh, you know, quite small businesses. Um, they tend to have the personality of the owner. Or, or, or often they're very much created in the owner's sort of guise, as it were. That may or may not be appropriate. And that's quite a hard one to overcome if it's not appropriate, because you've got to have a t- tough conversation with the person that started it sometimes, or a tough conversation with yourself. Because actually, very rarely are you, the owner, or the employees of a business, very rarely are you the target audience. And nor is your mate in the pub, although your mate isn't in the pub anymore. But anyway, if he was. Um, then so the, so the thing is, um, you know, they're not your target audience, but they're often the people that influence the way of business. Oh, I, I, I like your, I like, I like your colours, or I like your website. So what? If my mum says to me, uh, you know, uh, as she often does, I'm not sure about that, dear. Not happy about that. Da, 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 da. She, wrote, she wrote to me, in fact, this week uh, in my foray on a Monday morning, which I send out another plug for free every Monday. No repeats. Six years. Um, if anybody wants to sign up for that, that's fine. They, they can get it for free. Um, this this week I wrote about the chimp paradox, and I got an email from my mum late that day. Not sure about that chimp idea of yours today, dear. That was it. Full stop. No, nothing else. Nothing, just bang. That's to you. So, but luckily my mum is not my target audience. You know, she's not an estate agent, and so whilst I I, I, I do pay her comments some respect, I, I don't really worry about them too often. God, totally real. I hope she's not watching this. It, it is recorded. Just a warning. <laughs> Uh, but you, you get the you get what I, you get what I'm saying. So I think Jessica, the, the, it's it's really really important to understand that that is the case, and therefore the personality is a big help um, as to how you can as, as to how you can stand out. And that's where you've got to get drilled down to your values and get and work those out. There's another way that you can stand out as well, of course, which is in the next box, which is what what I call what's the story. So imagine that I am the perfect target audience for you. Right, so that whoever you've written down in, in box number four, I'm I'm representative of that of that of that profile of person, and I meet you, and I go, okay, well, what do you do? Tell me all about what you do. And my my experience all too often is in doing that is that five minutes later, I am none the wiser. A bit like you trying to explain customer success, Tom. I'm absolutely none the wiser, and by this stage, I've lost the will to live. And it's not because you don't know. It's because actually we haven't yet developed necessarily how, how to communicate communicate the proposition really, really clearly. You know, when I first met Good Lord, 
you know, as you rightly said, I'm a non-exec director now of the business, and uh, and I'm really, really enjoying uh, that role and working with the exec team. But when I first met Good Lord, and I, I, had, a, I had a conversation with several of the, several of the other, other directors. I, you know, like, well, what does Good Lord do? And I have to say, there were times where I was confused. I didn't really understand what it was. And in the end, you, you might bear, I'm a bear of little brain. I just, just I said, so you get rid of all the faff. Yeah, that's it. That's what we do. We get rid of all the faff. Brilliant. I get that. That, that's really simple, but as, a, as opposed to some sort of long protracted, da, 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 you know, we and, and then I love the mission, you know, to, to make it the best lettings experience ever in the world. All right, okay, that's a big ambition. I, I can get that as well. So I think it's really important to understand the story. And you know, back to Jessica's question, the story combined with the personality, those two things together. So the, the appearance of the of the agency is right. And the messaging is right. So imagine all that drop down for landlords, just as an example. Imagine it has, are you letting a property for the first time? And then suddenly there's a whole narrative there to first time landlords. Or another drop down might be, do you have, a, do you have a, an existing portfolio? And it's a totally different narrative then to people who are already experienced, if you like, professional, whatever you want to call these people. So you can have two or three different audiences um, addressed in the same way. But the personality tends to be the same. That's really hard to do. Otherwise, you end up with a split personality. Um, so the personality needs, and this is why when people try to be something to everyone, they end up being nothing to any to anyone, right? If they try to be, if they try to, oh, we, our target audience is everybody, everybody with a property. Yeah. No, let's just drill it down. Let's get it more specific than that. So the story is really important. And, and again, I think it has to be crafted. And all too often, it's really interesting. If I was to go into any organization, if I was to go into any agency and say, what's the story? And I've done this so many times that um, I'm pretty convinced it's, it's in the high 90%. I'll speak to the managing director or the owner, and I'll get their piece. I'll then go and speak to some of the, the managers of the, of the business. And then I'll go and speak to the people in the front line of the business. Or I'll go and speak with the property managers. Or I'll go and speak with the inventory clerks. Or I'll go and speak with you know, all the, the folk that do the work. And, you know, I often end up with three or four completely different stories. And that's not great. Um, it, it's brilliant when everybody gets what, 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 what it is that they do. And the organization understands its purpose and has proper values that are meaningful values, not wishy-washy, just weasel words on a page, but proper values that drive the behaviors and drive the actions of, of, of the organization. And, 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 and the story then, you know, if, if you haven't that excellent uh, TED.com talk by Simon Sinek, where he talks about the, 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 you know, the, the three circles, the golden circles, uh, or his book, it start, I prefer the TED Talk personally, it's 18 minutes. It starts with why, what is your why? You know, that's where the story often comes about. And then you can embellish it out into the, the how and the what's. Most organizations don't have a why. And making a profit, as he says, is, is not a why, it's an outcome. Anyway, that's for another, that's for another webinar. Um, stay, on, stay on plot, Peter. Um, the, the idea is to have a very clear, uh, compelling story. And the, the idea around the story is to cause someone to go, that's really interesting, tell me more. And then you've got an invitation to then get more com complex, which is why, uh, step nine is what I call the one big thing. So out of all of the, all, out of all of those messages, out of all that story, out of, what's the one big thing above all else that your audience needs to get 
So if they only walk away with one thing, what is that one big thing? And that's the crucial bit to understand. And as I said, for good Lord, for me, I think it's we remove the faff. Now, you may articulate that more eloquently than I have done and, 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 and come up with a better, a better way of describing it. But I think, that's what, I think that's what the business does, is it just takes all the faff and automates it and gets it out off, off the agent's hands. You know, we, we'll take care of it. You know, can you do it? Or we can tell you if you want us to, but that's what we do. Right? And, uh, and, and, and that, I think, is the, 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 key, the key thing here. And for an agent... You know, what is it? And the trouble is, this is why this is why I've got step 10 in place. All too often, the one big thing, the story, the personality, back to Jessica's point, are all the same for all the agents. So if you're one big thing, and if your story, and if your personality is the same as everybody else, they're probably going to shop on price. So this is why step, step 10 exists. Step 10 is, what is the benefit of that one big thing? For the customer, is that communicated properly in the story? Is that reflected in the personality? Because if you look the same, act the same, charge the same, employ the same types of people with the same background, same education, have the same processes, same charging methods, and so on, which I'm afraid is typical of a lot of agents, they're going to buy on price probably. Instead, you need to be able to stand out and have a, a compelling reason, a one something that, that causes a landlord to go. So when Spencer at Paramount, said, well, our average tenancy is four years against an industry average of two. Well, that's interesting. Um, he's also developed an incredible proposition around property uh, management and, and property maintenance, where they have their own teams employed in-house, which means that they can actually attend to situations far more quickly and resolve di disputes and issues and minimize the, the disruptions and and he's well. He just it's just a class act, and 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 one many of our members that are doing some really interesting things. So they've got a different proposition, and I think what we are in a period now to do is to come up with that you know, a proposition that suits the new normal. Because we've got three phases. We've got the old normal that's gone, in my opinion. We're going to have the awkward in between, which we're about to experience, where we're coming out of lockdown on a gradual basis, and it's all awkward, and no one knows, including the government, exactly what we're meant to do or not do. It's all going to be uncomfortable, and that's going to last. I'm afraid potentially for quite a few weeks or months, actually. And then we're going to have a new normal. Okay, and what we need to be thinking about is coping with this awkward bit in the middle. Yes. But we need to be redefining what our proposition is for the new normal, making sure it's relevant and it's what people want during that period of time. So that's why the customer benefit is really, really important. Let me whiz through the last few steps. And I've deliberately stayed with the first 10 because they're the, they're the big ones. The next one is how are we going to communicate with them? And this is often where people start. They'll say, oh, you know, um, I, I want a new website or I want a, uh, a PR campaign or, 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 or I want a, uh, social media or whatever it might be. This should only we should only be asking this question after we've done steps one through 10 and then work out how to communicate. And there's a whole plethora of different ways there, that, as you can see. And probably since this since this webinar started, there's probably been three new ones added. So, you know, it's constant new ways to communicate and, 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 uh, and so on. So never, in my opinion, ever start with, oh, we want a XYZ campaign. Instead, start with we want a desired result. And that might result in an XYZ campaign, but let's not be presumptive. OK, so having worked out how we're going to communicate, the next thing we need to do is how are we going to measure it uh, before we spend our money? 
What's our measurements going to be? And I think there's tangible and intangible measure, measurements. So you've got the tangible ones. How many leads did we generate? You know, how many inquiries did we have? How many eyeballs did we get? And, and, and. How many forms were filled in? All of that stuff. Brilliant. Good stuff. But there's also the intangible in terms of influencing people. You know, what did they think before? And what do they think now? You know, what percentage of people got it? What percentage of people understood what our proposition is? And you need to have measurements in place to be able to, in my opinion, to be able to identify how successful or otherwise you're. There's no point getting known and not being known for the thing that you want to be known for, right? There's just no point. And, and again, I'm afraid an awful lot of businesses just spend money. They may be known, but they're not known for the key factors that's going to influence their target audiences. So let me get to the, the, the question of budget. And I've often been asked, is there a formula in marketing for uh, creating a, a, a budget? And I always go, yes. Uh, the, the number that you write in box 13 should be smaller than any of the numbers that you write in box two. And uh, that's a rather glib answer. But ultimately, you know, we know, need to know, what are you prepared to invest? You've got, you, know what, you know what it's worth. What are you prepared to invest? And, of course, that might be. What you, you might be limited by what you've got. And that's internal impact on step 11 as to how you can communicate. What, what you, you might like to do 20 different things, but actually you'd be better off often doing one really well. Uh, and if that's what your budget allows you to do, then to try and do, do, do everything. Uh, and then as well as money, you need to identify what resources will it take uh, so what, what about time and people and, and, and other facilities that might be needed? So look, it's a really simple process. Steps one, two, and three, foundations. What, what do you want? What's it worth? What are the consequences? Let's think about what the impact might be. Steps four, five, and six, the most important bits. Who's your target audience? What do they currently think, feel, and do? What do you want them to think, feel, and do? Thinking precedes doing. Change your thinking, change your doing. How do we do that? You do that by the personality, by the story and a one big thing that people get and it's relevant to them and it has a, a benefit. Fine. Having done that, how do we communicate? Let's put some measurements in place to make sure we're communicating effectively. What's our budget going to be? What resources do we need? And that's it. That's all you need to create a highly effective marketing plan. A huge thank you to Peter Knight for sharing his insights with us. I hope everyone found it useful. Again, if you haven't, I would encourage you to download his highly effective marketing plan worksheet. The link is in the show notes. You'll also find more insights from Peter Knight on building your agency's brand in our latest ebook, uh, How to Win Landlords in a Challenging Environment. You'll find the link to that in the show notes too. Uh, until then, subscribe, leave us a rating if you enjoyed it, and don't forget to visit us at goodlord.co slash newsagent.